This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody. It's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. We've got a bunch of stuff to talk about this week, including Adobe threatening users of older software with lawsuits if they don't stop using that software that they paid for. Apple says there is indeed competition on their app store and put up a big page on their website to talk about it. Chrome potentially will be blocking ad blockers in the near future, which might move some of us away from the Chrome platform. Google, though, has a subscription-based ad blocker themselves, sort of. We'll look at that, which hasn't been talked about in a while. I'll also look at who are my competitors here on YouTube and whether or not they are indeed competitors And we'll finish things off by looking at whether or not there are any good open source security camera DVR systems out there. Lots to talk about now, so let's get to it. I want to begin by thanking our newest supporters here on the channel. Pete Arnett upgraded his Patreon subscription this week, so I want to thank Pete for that. And I also want to thank everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis, along with everyone who watches on an ongoing basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now, this week's wrap-up is being brought to you by our friends at Plex and their Plex Pass Upgrade. Now, if you're not familiar with Plex, it allows you to take all that media that you've got on hard drives all over the house and organize it. And they've got a great interface that works across TVs and tablets and computers and phones. And you can get at your media anywhere in the world. And most of the core features of Plex are free. So you don't have to pay anything to get started to start messing around with it. But as you get into it, you might want to do more. And that is what the Plex Pass will do for you. And that includes being able to record live TV and watch it live anywhere you are. You have mobile syncing for offline viewing when you're getting on a plane and want to watch some of those TV shows you got on your hard drive. You can put put them all on your phone and have them ready to go. Uh, There's parental restrictions for keeping the kids out of stuff. You can inject subtitles directly from the Plex interface into your favorite TV shows and movies. You get early access to new features and a lot more. You can learn more at the links that you see on screen here about what you can do with Plex for your own media. And they've also now added a lot of cloud functionality, including a great podcast app, title integration, web shows where you can actually watch me as well, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So definitely check out Plex today, and I want to thank them for their ongoing support of the channel. And now it's time for the Week in Review. On the Extras channel, we took a look at some Walmart tablets that are selling for well under 100 bucks. In fact, I got both of these for under $150, and I reviewed those tablets on the main channel last week. We had a good number of views right out of the gate for that video. Uh, We also looked at the new Plex television interface, which a lot of people seem to be pretty happy with. Got a ton of views on that video. That was part of our monthly sponsored series that we do for Plex. And we also took a look at Wise cameras and setting them up for the RTSP protocol so you can use those with third-party DVR solutions like Synology and QNAP and other things too. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of those third-party solutions a little bit later here in the wrap-up. Now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and this is week 118 of me doing this as a full-time occupation, and things are going pretty well here. We had a very productive week last week. In fact, I shot so much stuff that I am two videos ahead at the start of this week, which is awesome. 
uh, because I have some things to do with the kids during the week here that might interrupt my workflow. So I was very pleased to get ahead a little bit, which is always a great way to start out the week. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And if you are a bit nervous about all of these new subscription-based software packages, I've got some stuff that should continue that anxiety. Uh, Matt Razak here, who's Kupo Games on Twitter, got an email from Adobe the other day that said he's no longer allowed to use software that he is paying for. He says it's time to cancel his subscription, he guesses. And he put up this notice that he got from Adobe because they knew he was working with some older versions of Animate, which I believe is Flash CC 2015, according to his annotation here. And they're saying that he is no longer licensed to use these old applications and that he could be held liable uh, for infringement by third parties if he continues to use them. And they tell him to go and download the latest versions of those applications to be in compliance. And I think this also is applying to some versions of Photoshop as well. I'm not sure if this applies to versions of software that you were able to purchase from Adobe in the past. I think this might just be creative cloud applications. But there's often a lot of good reasons why you might want to run an older version of something for compatibility or something along those lines. And all of a sudden here, you've got software that you were legally allowed to use and download, and suddenly they pull the license from you and tell you you're going to get sued if you continue using it. This is a big concern because we're not owning anything anymore, and these companies can just take that license away and prevent you from using those applications. This was certainly of concern there. Uh, Now, apparently where this is being uh, originated from is a lawsuit that Adobe is involved with right now with Dolby Laboratories. Apparently, Adobe licensed some Dolby software technology for those applications, and this happened in the middle of Adobe's transition from paid software to subscription software. Dolby doesn't like the fact that the revenue they were getting from Adobe changed, and they're suing now Adobe over this, and apparently this is all springing from that. But again, it really raises some issues about the future of software and ownership, And it's why I'm very concerned about subscription-based applications, especially for things that a lot of us depend on for our workday. And I'm seeing more and more examples of subscription-based software making its way into productivity applications. It's becoming a trend, unfortunately. Uh, So this week, Elgato released a Stream Deck app for the iPhone, uh, which allows your iPhone to basically perform like their hardware Stream Deck device. Now, if you're not familiar with Stream Deck, it is a a little box that allows you to switch camera angles for live streaming. And it looks like they're putting that functionality into an app now. And I understand why they wouldn't want to cannibalize their hardware sales. But nonetheless, you've got $2.99 a month here uh, just to use a very basic application, which I think is kind of ridiculous. I would much rather spend $30, $40 on a very useful app that can increase my productivity. And then if they add features that further increases my efficiency and productivity, I'm more than happy to pay for those additions. I do that all the time with my TriCaster. Every couple of years, I upgrade the underlying software by paying for it. Uh, And I would like to see others continue on that path because I don't really like the idea of paying out all this money, having nothing if I stop paying them, and have no real guarantee that the money I'm investing will be returned in value Uh, But unfortunately, this looks like the way the industry is going, and I guess we just all have to buckle up and get ready for it. And a week or two ago, we talked about how the Supreme Court opened the door for customers to sue Apple on antitrust grounds, given that the App Store is very locked down and restrictive on the iOS platform. And this week, Apple put up a website dedicated to that topic, 
and it goes into a lot of depth and detail about why they think their app store is not anti-competitive. And as you browse through this page, you'll see some examples that Apple has used in the past about why and how they welcome competition. They talk about how they distribute uh, billions of uh, downloads of their competitors' apps, for example, and how it's such an open ecosystem. And it also talks about how they focus on quality over quantity, and they do uh, some degree of curation here to ensure that Apple customers are protected uh, when they are buying apps from Apple. Apple also showed a number of examples of competing apps that they allow for sale on their platform. They use some examples like the Apple Calendar and alternatives that are available on the App Store from competitors, including, of course, Google Calendar and Outlook and Fantastical here. However, what they don't say is that Apple benefits from all of those competing apps because they make money on their competitors' work. 30% of every app sale goes to Apple, and that's been the foundation of the lawsuits that were brought, saying that consumers are being disadvantaged by having this 30% fee built into the cost of what they are buying, and there's no alternative to buy those apps elsewhere. On the Android platform, for example, you could install the Amazon App Store and buy your apps through Amazon, or you could buy them through Google. Uh, On the Mac, for example, you can download an app directly from a developer and install it, and Apple doesn't take a cut of that. So there are alternatives on other platforms, but it looks like, really, for the most part, with maybe the exception of the Xbox, uh, there are not really any other options for acquiring software on an Apple uh, tablet or phone. You have to use the App Store, and as such, 30% of your purchase is going back to Apple. So even though these competitors are competing, uh, they still have to pay Apple, who benefits from all of that competition monetarily uh, and really has no loss at all if their competitor's app gets more popular than their own. And they also bring up some other examples like ebook readers. Uh, In this case, they're pointing to Amazon Kindle and Audible, where you can download the app for free and get access to content that you purchased elsewhere available through that app without Apple taking a cut of it. However, Apple puts in so much friction here, I don't think this argument holds up all that well. Uh, So take a look here at the uh, Apple Book Reader. If you go into their uh, Book Reader here and start browsing some of the latest books, when you click on something, uh, you can buy it right through the app. It is ready to go. In fact, if you got Apple Pay, you don't even have to do much to get that purchase made, you can just uh, do your fingerprint scan and boom, you've got your book. It's downloading and you are off and running. On the Kindle app on the iPhone, uh, if you go in and find a book as you're browsing around that you really want to read, uh, you can't download it. You can get a free sample delivered to you, but you can't even get a link to buy the book itself. You have to jump out of there and go into the web browser and look around. And the reason is, is that Apple restricts people from linking to places where people can buy things. They restrict companies from selling anything in the app as well. That's not an in-app purchase that Apple can profit from. So there's really no way here that a consumer through the app can get similar functionality and buy that book from Amazon versus Apple. They have to jump out to their web browser, purchase it on the browser, and then go back into the app to read it. And I think that's a lot of friction for a lot of consumers. And if they are looking at the book costing the same on both platforms, they're probably going to go to the one that's easier to access. And right now, Apple has a competitive advantage over every other book reader on the Apple App Store because only Apple can sell you that book directly in the app. Likewise, if we go over to the uh, the Android version of Kindle, uh, we can see a book there that I want to take a look at. I can click on it and buy it and get it downloaded right to my device 
right inside of the Android app, and I don't have any friction there. So really, there's just an example, I think, of where Apple is exercising the fact that it owns the platform uh, to give themselves a competitive advantage here. Yes, they are distributing the apps, no problem. I think they would be under a lot of scrutiny if they weren't, but they have put in a lot of friction for those competitors to compete equally, and I think that ultimately is a real flaw in their argument and might be something they could be vulnerable for if any of these lawsuits come forward. But the big question here is whether or not Apple is a monopoly. Uh, The answer is probably not, because Apple... Uh, In 2018, the last quarter had about 47% of the smartphone market share here in the United States where these lawsuits would happen. And worldwide, the market share is much lower. And as you can see, everything else is an Android phone. And people have the choice whether to buy an Apple phone or an Android phone. And if they want more flexibility and little less restrictions, they can buy an Android phone and get their Kindle book delivered through their app as opposed to what Apple is doing. So I don't know if they have a lot of vulnerability here. There might be some, depending on uh, what laws relate to control of platforms, but we've seen uh, many examples in the past where a company can own a platform and uh, take a licensing fee and do all the things that Apple is doing, uh, provided there's adequate competition in the marketplace for consumers to go elsewhere. And that's certainly the case here. I know a lot of people who watch this channel have done that. They've gone away from Apple platforms to Android devices and others. So I'm not sure... Uh, whether or not this monopoly thing is going to hold up. But at the moment, uh, it looks like Apple is feeling very defensive about this. Now, in a related story, Google Chrome may lose the ability to block ads with third-party extensions in the near future. They are currently proposing this change uh, to a very powerful API in the Chrome browser that most of these modern ad blockers use. I use one called uBlock Origin, uh, which works exceptionally well. It really speeds up your browsing uh, process. And if this change happens, uBlock Origin will really not work the same way on Chrome in the future. And I think there's probably some business reasons why Google wants this to happen because they make money with ads and I don't think they want their browser to be so friendly to ad blocking. Google hasn't said that, but everyone thinks that is the direction they're going in. Now, there's apparently another API that some ad blockers use that may not be affected by this. Uh, That is used by uh, ad blockers such as Adblock Plus. Now, what's interesting about Adblock Plus here, according to the uBlock Origin developers, is that they have a business relationship with Google uh, where Google is paying Adblock Plus not to block their ads. Uh, So there are some ad blockers out there that will block competitors' ads, but not the Google ones, and they pay uh, the developers of this application to do that. And you can find more of the uBlock statement here at the link that you see on screen. So clearly they uh, support blocking ads provided you're not blocking their ads, right? So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, What's now happening, of course, is that Google is uh, revisiting this suggested change, saying that it's not set in stone and that things might uh, not happen the way everyone is predicting they might. But nonetheless, I don't see any reason why Google would not implement this change, given that they're losing a lot of money. I'm sure they're seeing how popular these ad blockers are. And there's a lot of reasons why people block things on the web. Uh, I do it for two reasons, privacy and security. Uh, From the privacy standpoint, uh, this uBlock Origin that I'm using blocks a lot of third-party cookies from being implemented, so I don't get hit with ads or be be profiled in a certain way if I'm on uh, certain websites. The second thing is that 
from a security standpoint, we've had a number of examples of really malicious malware getting distributed through popular ad networks. I had this happen to me uh, when I was working IT on two separate occasions where people who were just innocently browsing the web on their lunch breaks had malware installed on their computer through an ad that was displaying through the Yahoo ad network. In one instance, we had some ransomware that nearly took out the entire business. Uh, Thankfully, we physically pulled the plug as things were starting to install themselves. But all of this happened just through an ad. And after that incident with the ransomware, we put ad blockers on every computer in the place to give us a little bit more security here to prevent these things coming right in the way they did. So there's a lot of good reasons why you want to install an ad blocker, and it's unfortunate to see that Chrome might lose that functionality in the near future. Now, if we look at browser market share, uh, you can see that Google Chrome is now far and away the most installed browser out there. Uh, Some are speculating that Google was allowing this to happen because it was helping to build their market share. Now they got everybody, they're going to just turn it off. I don't know if that's the case, but clearly uh, with this much market share, they do have uh, some ability here to exercise their strength and uh, protect their business here, and that's going to be a problem. I do suspect what will happen is a lot of people will switch to browsers that do allow the installation of ad blockers like Firefox and Opera and other things that are out there. So we'll have to see how this kind of transpires and what Google ultimately decides to do. But I think this is very bad news because a lot of things just work better on Chrome, especially Google properties. And I'm not liking what they're doing here because there are some very good reasons to have ad blockers working. And I'm hoping uh, that this change doesn't occur. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And we were discussing this ad blocking issue on the Facebook group the other day. And Justin Flory used the example of how YouTube has their premium service that allows you to pay a subscription fee to have all the ads removed from your YouTube experience. And it actually works very nicely. I'm a subscriber. I like it a lot. I also like the fact that us creators make more money uh, because we're compensated for every minute that you watch as a subscriber versus the ad model that requires people to watch ads for 30 seconds for that revenue to get shared. It's a much better model for creators, and it's actually a better user experience, too. Uh, Justin says that he would actually do the same for the web uh, if there was a way to offer that kind of ad blocking officially through Google's platform. And there actually is a way to do that. Google's had something called the Contributor Program for some time. It has changed and morphed, and I don't think it's as good as it was before, But the basic premise of it was that you would pay a monthly fee, and every time you went to a website that had a Google ad position up, you would see no ads. Those ads would just have squares saying that you were part of the contributor program and your uh, website that you're looking at is benefiting from it. And the model was very similar to what YouTube Premium does in that they were compensating website owners based on the traffic that was coming to their site Uh, from contributor viewers. And then they took that model and kind of threw it out and have changed it. Uh, So now the way this works is that you load up your account with money, and then it's kind of crazy. You bid uh, for how much you're willing to pay a website to look at it. And when you go to that website, if what you're willing to bid for the page view, maybe it's two or three cents or something, is higher than what an ad would get that creator of the website, then you would not see an ad and the two or three cents would be deducted from your account. But if you were bidding under the ad market for that site, you would still see ads. And apparently that's how it continues to work to this day. I can't find a place to sign up for it and it doesn't look like Google is really focusing on this at all. 
Uh, but it is something that's out there and apparently some people are currently using. So while this could result in more revenue if enough people signed up for it, I think the process here is just too cumbersome. You have to maintain a balance. You have to uh, maintain your bids on all these different websites that you want to support. Just seems like a lot of work on the part of the viewer. And I think there's a lot of better alternatives for viewer revenue uh, like Patreon and other similar uh, subscription plans that you can subscribe to with that site owner directly. So unfortunately, I don't think Google Contributor has much of a future, but it started off as a very good idea, I thought. And Alex Vega writes in with a question about YouTube and competition. He says he just watched a Tech Thing episode, and it looks like they're announcing they are ending the show. He says, viewing them as a competitor, could this possibly increase your viewership? Uh, my, my channel analytics reflect this. He's curious. And I would say there wouldn't be an impact. And honestly, I don't see uh, fellow creators on YouTube as competitors so much. In fact, I actually do well when others do well. And the reason is how YouTube works. Now, I think if I was a live streamer, this would be a different conversation because people can only watch one live stream at a time. But with on-demand content, it's a little bit different. So take a look at my recent review of the Oculus Quest. Now, this is something that everyone and their mother on uh, YouTube reviewed. And as such, I don't always do well with these kinds of videos because there's often a lot of other big channels that do much better. But uh, I'm getting a lot of impressions in that my thumbnail is showing up on a lot of these other videos of the Oculus Quest. And one of those, in fact, I think one of the uh, biggest contributors to this is the channel Tested that is owned by Adam Savage. Uh, so you can see here as I was browsing their video, uh, mine here showed up in the corner. And I think it's showing me this because I was subscribed, but nonetheless, it is recommending my content. And that's something that would not have happened uh, had the other folks there not made that video. So competition on YouTube is very different than what it might be for a traditional broadcast or uh, even live streaming for that matter. And I actually welcome other people covering the things that I do. Uh, but I do better, of course, on things that other people don't do. Uh, so, of course, not a lot of YouTubers review cheap Walmart tablets, and that's why I do better with that kind of stuff uh, than I do with more popular products, because there certainly is a lot more competition for attention. But one of the things I've discovered on YouTube over the years is that if you're able to capture the viewer's attention and retain it, uh, they will reward you with better search position. So oftentimes it's not a matter of how big or how good you are. It's really a matter of how good that particular content piece is. And that, of course, will make things better in the end run. So really, I don't see a lot of people competing against me so much as I see us actually all lifting each other's boats up together. Uh, and I think that's just the nature of how this platform works. Now, this week, we looked at connecting WISE cameras to network security DVR systems. And in the video that we did uh, we connected those WISE cameras up to a Synology disk station, and they allow you to connect two security cameras to a Synology device, but then you have to pay for a license for each additional camera that you connect. And some folks were writing in asking what other options are out there, including Rob and Joyce here. And that is going to be our Q&A for you this week. I did look around, and I found one that looks to be pretty popular as an open source package called ZoneMinder. I haven't yet tried it out. But I would love to get some feedback from you as to which packages are out there, preferably free and open source, that uh, would give users the ability to add many more cameras to the mix. I think there's also a Docker uh, installation for ZoneMinder that would actually allow you to use this on a Synology or a QNAP disk station uh, that support uh, the Docker platform. So let me know what you think down in the comments below, and we'll start poking around with this a little bit because I'm really eager to see what options are out there.
And for our pick of the week this week, I found a really cool video about a piece of retro hardware you may have never heard about. It's called the X-Band, and it was on a channel called Wrestling with Gaming. Uh, this is a great channel that deserves many more subscribers. He's been doing these documentary-style videos on a lot of retro gaming topics. And this X-Band device uh, is something that allowed people to play multiplayer games uh, over a modem that was built into the device itself. And what it did is it kind of um, hacked the cartridge to allow input for player two to come from the modem connection. It was really ingenious, and uh, they went and found the original creators of this device and did a really awesome uh, overview of something that uh, was kind of forgotten about from the 16-bit era that I think all of you will find of interest. And there's a lot of great stuff on this channel that you should definitely check out. Uh, since you can see, I subscribe to that channel. I think you should too, because he's got a lot of great content there. So this week on the channel, we've got a bunch of stuff ready to go. Those two videos I talked about being shot and ready include a Lenovo all-in-one that we unboxed on the Extras channel about a week and a half ago. So be on the lookout for that. I also got in a couple of these cameras from FLIR that attach to the bottom of your smartphone and turn your smartphone into a thermal imaging camera. We got a pro camera and kind of their consumer version here. Uh, they have a very big difference in cost, and I'll talk about the differences between these two in that video, but they're really cool and seem to work quite well, so be on the lookout for that one too. Also hope to get to this gaming tablet that we unboxed a couple of weeks ago on the Extras channel. My laryngitis prevented me from getting to it earlier. Apparently this is now the Amazon choice for gaming tablet, and we'll see if it's my choice for gaming tablet when we get that review put together, hopefully a little later this week. We also have this U300 mini PC that is also on the docket, so we'll take a look and see how its uh, Celeron 3867U processor does versus some of the Apollo, or the Gemini Lake, I should say, chips that we typically see in these devices. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel. Plex sponsored our video this week, but we have an ongoing relationship with them where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a little commission. We get a slightly larger commission if you sign up for a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else. We also have a number of other channels you can subscribe to, including my Extras channel, where we've got supplementary content and unboxings. We have my podcast, which is the audio version of this show that gets posted a little bit later in the week. We have the Snippets channel that takes portions of this show and makes them more search-friendly. And then we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash livestreams. I also suggest you click on that bell icon to get notified every time we go live or do something of interest, so be sure to do that. And we've got some other ways you can connect with the channel, including my email list at lon.tv slash email. We have the Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook. The Facebook group, which is growing every single day and generates a lot of great topics for this show, can be found at lon.tv slash Facebook group. And then we've got my store at lon.tv slash store, where I sell things that I've previously reviewed here on the channel, including... Uh, those two Walmart tablets that I'll be putting up there a little bit later today. And if you want to get notified every time I do something to the store, you can sign up for the store alert email at lon.tv slash store alert. Every time I add something, I will notify you. And it's a great way to find out when stuff is available because there's only one of everything uh, and you want to jump in quick to get it. So that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank you all for your continued support, your comments, your viewership, and your contributions Everything really does help quite a bit, and we've had a very good year of growth uh, because, again, on YouTube, a high tide raises all the boats, and hopefully that will continue onward from here. Until next time, this is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. 
This channel is brought to you by the Lawn.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, Brian Parker, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lawntv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lawntv slash s.